All right, well, good morning. And as uh, Scott said, it's my privilege this morning to preach on preaching, which <laughs> is interesting, but hey, that's good. Um, it's the Word of God, and I'm happy to bring it to you this morning. Um, as Scott said, if you, if you did miss last week's sermon um, by Nathan on Transcendent Worship, it really is It's a good lesson. I do encourage you to hear it. Um, and it does really flow into what I'm speaking on today on expository preaching. He talked about the transcendent God who is above us and transcends time and space and our circumstances and how we can worship him in any circumstances we find ourselves because of who he is. It was a great sermon um, lifting up high um, the name of God. And out of that flows why we preach. We preach expositorily or we preach from the Bible because there are timeless truths in the Bible from that timeless God that transcend culture, transcend circumstances, and that the Word of God, though written thousands of years ago, applies to us today in our very lives. And so these two um, sermons really are um, meant to go together, and it, he did a, an excellent job. So I would encourage you on our website, or you can get a CD in the office. Um, much of my message come this, comes this morning from um, a few books, and we have this one in the bookstore. It's called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. And we actually did our Connect class um, based off of this book, uh, Mark Dever, he goes through nine different things about um, describing what a healthy church is. And uh, the first one is expository preaching. And the, the premise behind that being the first is that if you have that in place, everything else flows out of that. Because any other thing that the church needs to know, it will know if the pastor is preaching expositorily through the Word of God. Um, another book that I read in preparation is called Famine in the Land by Steve Lawson. Um, it's, it's a fairly short book, but it's very power-packed on preaching. It's on, not, not so much, well, it is about preaching, but it's about the Word of God. That's really what preaching is. It's about the Word of God. Um, excellent book if you want to know more or to read more about the topic this morning. And this is a shorter version of the larger Rediscovering Expository Preaching. This was put together by the Master Seminary faculty a few years back. This is Pastor Jeff's copy. It's well-worn, as you can see. Um, so if you do want more information or to do more research on your own, these are two good books. Um, I can share those with you later if you would like. Um, the purpose of this message this morning is to hold up high the Word of God so that you can understand and embrace expository preaching as one of our core distinctives at Anchors Grace Church. As Scott mentioned, we're doing a sermon series on our four core distinctives. Transcendent Worship was last week. Expository preaching is this week. Community building will be next week and making disciples um, the week after. Those are the four things that we distilled through the scriptures, through understanding of what church should be. Those are the four things that stood out to the church leadership after many, many hours of, of discussion and prayer and study. Um, and so that's why we're, we're doing that. So I want to hold up high the word of God so that you can understand and embrace expository preaching as one of our core distinctives here at Grace. Um, now... The confidence screen isn't working this morning, so I'm going to be looking back. I hope that's not too distracting, but that's okay. It's about the Word of God being preached anyway. It's not about me, so please, um, you know, focus in on the Word. And, and as was prayed, um, I, just, I, I do trust that God will open your ears to hear the Word of God preached this morning. Um, before I, I start unfolding the Scriptures, um, I do want to give a brief definition of the word expository and what does expository preaching mean. It comes from the, the word group expose or exposit, exposition, um, and it means to set forth the meaning or purpose, explain what is difficult, to make known or bring to light. That's it. Um, 
all of these books that I held up, they all say the same thing. They all quote the same people in history. They all use the same scripture verses to talk about expository preaching. And that's kind of the point, is that I have nothing new to say to you. All I have to say is what's already been written. So my job as a preacher is not to create new truth or invent some new fancy truth that's going to you know, excite everybody, but it's just to preach what is in the Word. And I like this. It is not imposition. I'm not imposing a meaning onto the text that isn't there. I'm exposing what is there to you for your eyes and ears to, to hear and for that to change <laughs> your life. Um, I was listening to a Mark Driscoll sermon yesterday, and he said that preachers are God's messengers, not his editors. I thought that was fitting. And he also made the comment that uh, the preacher's job is to teach timeless truth for truthless times. Again, very, very catchy, but very true. Um, that is the job of, of the preacher, is to preach truth into a culture that doesn't value truth very highly. Um, and here's some quotes from people through, through history that just help to um, round out the definition of what expository preaching is. Expository preaching is God's word made plain and applied to the present day needs of the hearers. Or, the true idea of preaching is that the preacher should become a mouthpiece for his text, opening it up and applying it as a word from God to his hearers, talking only in order that the text itself may speak and be heard. So when I come here to preach, I have nothing to say to you this morning. <laughs> Other than what I say, talking in order that the text itself may speak and be heard. So my only job is to share with you scriptures, and to explain what they mean, and to help apply them to your life. That's it. That's a big it, but that's it. Now, <clears throat> there are different types of preaching. Um, we're going to be talking about expositional or expository preaching today, where um, basically, it's the point of the sermon is the point of the text. And this is what Pastor Jeff does um, typically, where we're going through Philippians right now. I'll take a portion of Scripture, whether it be a word or a paragraph or a chapter, um, sometimes a book, and he'll exposit or expose, verse by verse, going through that book, helping us understand the original intent, context, that kind of thing, and then applying it into our daily lives. And this is the, the typical pattern of our uh, preaching here at this church. That's what we value, that's what we value high, highly. Now, there's another type of preaching, it's called topical, and topical, the point of the sermon is what the preacher wants it to be. Now, whether this preacher uses text of scripture or not, um, sometimes they might just say a, uh, an encouraging word or a motivational speech, or maybe they'll just read a text and then preach about something else. Um, that's a topical message where the preacher will pick a theme and Find Bible verses that support. Now, the danger of topicals is that you can take verses out of context. You can twist the scripture to make it say what you want. What I'm doing today is actually topical exposition. I am going to be talking about a theme or a topic, expository preaching. But my goal, and you can test me on this, is to do it in such a way that the point of my sermon is the point of the scripture as a whole on this certain topic of expository preaching without twisting the scripture to get it to say what the preacher wants it to say. So there is warrant for a topical exposition. Um, last week's sermon, um, Nathan, he actually did more of an expositional sermon, though the topic of the psalm that he chose was worship. He applied it in such a way that it was, his was more expositional. Mine's going to be more topical expositional. And there's actual examples of that in the Bible. Jesus did this in the Sermon on the Mount. He, his theme was the law and the, the deeper meaning of the law. So he would take out certain passages from the Old Testament and, and give the truer, deeper sense of, and explain what these certain passages meant. So Jesus did a topical exposition, so I feel confident that it is okay to do. Um, and as I was thinking through this, I realized you know, there's another 
there's another type of exposition, I think, and that's cultural exposition, where the, the preacher makes the scripture say what the current culture says it should say. Now, if you do any reading on current events, this is happening all the time. People want the Bible to justify their worldview. For, for you know, some you know, claim to be genuine Christians, and some just want the Bible on their side because they know how much sway it holds in our country um, to some degree. And so cultural exposition, it's where well, our culture has this view on a certain topic, and so we need to adjust the Bible. And some of these arguments can be very detailed, and they can get into the Greek and the Hebrew, and they can go back to the culture and the context of the time, but they do all of that to twist the Scripture to make it say what they want to say. That's a very dangerous one as well. And so we um, here at Grace believe in expositional teaching as the norm with the occasional topical exposition um, for variety and for certain themes that we want to do. Last, we, uh, last year, Pastor Jeff did that uh, Q&A series on different questions that um, you guys had. So there's, um, we do believe that there's warrant for topical exposition, even though straight verse-by-verse -verse exposition is what um, we as a leadership prefer. Now there's this chart um, that I put together the reason why we do expository preaching really is because of the authority of the Word of God. There is only one authority in this building, and it is the Word of God. And no one person has more authority over another in this room. It is the Word of God. Now, parents have authority over their children. That's not what I mean. I mean, as adults, um, the Word of God is the only authority. And the Word of God sets up you know, church structure and leadership and such, but the authority comes from the Word of God. Out of that authority of the Word of God, given by a transcendent God, relating to last week's, um, that's why we do expository preaching. And as I mentioned, there's different types. There's verse by verse. There is topical, which is what I'm doing today. I'm, I'm preaching on a, a theme or a topic out of the Bible. But this topical exposition comes from a verse by verse exposition that has preceded this. So as I put verses up, I was very careful to make sure that I wasn't taking them out of context or twisting the meaning. So I looked at each of those verses in their context, and I'm bringing that to you. Now you're going to have to either trust me or do what is biblical and test me, as the Bereans did to Paul, and see if I'm not twisting the scripture um, as I put up various scriptures to, uh, to talk about expositional preaching. Now I do have a few quotes from, from uh, various people who would agree. I love this quote by John Piper. He says, the Bible tethers us to reality. He's quite a wordsmith. I love that, that visual image that it gives. The Bible tethers us to reality. We're not free to think and speak whatever might enter our minds or what might be pleasing to any given audience, except God. God is the audience. We want to make sure we communicate his words clearly. So we can't alter our message um, to an unbiblical degree because our, the people don't want to hear it. Now, the message is going to depend on the people, but only to the degree that the application might change in a different context. But the truth of Scripture is what it is and has been since it was written. But the Bible tethers us to reality. We can't make up truth. That's, that's the idea. <clears throat> it is Mark Dever. He's the Nine Marks of a Healthy Church author. Um, he wrote, The regular diet of the church should, be cons should consist of the explanation and application of particular portions of God's word. And again, that's what we believe here. That's what we do on a regular, that's our regular diet. Even though we get some other things every once in a while, that's the regular diet. Now this next quote, when I first read it, I read the first half and automatically my, my heresy sensors went off. Like, whoa, whoa, the pulpit is the throne? 
And I thought, well, you know, and a lot of churches, it's probably true, a lot of churches believe that the pulpit is a throne for the pastor to, to you know, command his audience and to tell them what, what you know, he believes is truth and that he's the, you know, he's the authority. Some pastors may think, you know, that the, the, it's the pulpit is a throne for them to, to talk about different uh, you know, motivations or, or, or that kind of thing where you get a lot of that cultural exposition or, or just to get people to, to, to believe what you want them to believe. But then I finished the quote, reading the quote, and realized who it was from. It's from Martin Luther. He wouldn't say such a thing. He said, the pulpit is the, word, is the throne for the word of God. And that's, that's true. That's what I was saying before. The pulpit, the reason why we have this box to set the word of God on, because this is what we want to communicate to you. It's not the throne for the pastor or the preacher. It's the throne for the word of God, because through the word of God, God himself speaks to us. And when asked about his role in the Reformation, Martin Luther said, I simply taught, preached, wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. The word did it all. And if you look at the history of the Reformation, the word did amazing things. And God used Martin Luther, but it was through his ministry of the word and getting the word into the hands of the people. <clears throat> um, the, the context of the passage that Scott read to open us um, is 2 Timothy. Um, I, I will have the verses up on the screen, but if you want to um, keep up with me, that's, that's fine too in your own Bibles. I'm going to be reading um, first from 2 Timothy 3. And 2 Timothy is Paul's last letter that we know of that he wrote. Um, he's writing to Timothy, his, his, uh, his beloved co-worker. Um, he saw him as a son in the faith. Um, Paul was his mentor. They had a very deep relationship together. They suffered together. They ministered together. They traveled together. They had a very, very deep relationship, father-son-like um, spiritually. And so as Timothy, as Paul is writing to Timothy, these are his last words. And his last words, you know, we, we tend to think um, more highly of people's last words to somebody. You know, that's what they really want to say to a person. And so he says this to Timothy, comparing him to false teachers who don't teach the word. But as for you, <clears throat> continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, which is, again, why we preach the word. And he goes on, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. This is why we do this thing called expository preaching. It's because these are God's words breathed onto paper for us to interpret and apply to our own lives. This is it. This is it. It's breathed out by God. So all, all that I have to say is what God says, and all that you want to hear is what God says. So because God breathed out these scriptures, we, we hold them up so high, we know that that's able to make us equipped for any good thing that God would want us to do. And he goes on, Paul does, to Timothy, and he, he just heaps up the language here and I'm going to read it, and maybe, uh, <laughs> okay, just listen carefully. If you have your Bible, this is 2 Timothy 4. Now, he says, he says it in such a way that he cannot say it more seriously and solemnly, solemnly. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. 
So he takes a whole verse just to load up just how important what I'm about to say, how important it is. So I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. That's it, Timothy. Out of all of our relationship and our, our striving together and our, our ministry and our suffering, this is what I want to leave you with, Timothy. Preach the word. That's my final charge to you. And he goes on to explain, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Look around us. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. And so... Paul knows, he says, there are times that are coming when people will not endure sound teaching. <laughs> Those times are upon us. Because of that, Timothy, preach the word and in season and out, and reprove, rebuke, all these things with patience and, and teaching. So he knows that, you know, there's a, there's a compassionate side to preaching. Um, <clears throat> all right, so out of this charge to Timothy, we get the charge today as pastors, as preachers, to preach the word. And I want to just take you through some other texts that just kind of help to explain or to illustrate um, why we want to preach the word. And the first of those texts is Isaiah 55, which says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Before I finish that, I want to just ask, how many of you woke up this morning and saw the rain outside and said, yes, it's raining today on a Sunday? A few people, yeah, a few people. I grew up in San Diego where we have weather like this like two or three weeks out of the year, and then it's sunny the rest of the time. So it's, it's hard for me on mornings like this to wake up and to see the rain and to be excited about it. But I do know that later when it's sunny, or not, because, you know, we're Alaskans and we hike whether it's sunny or not, but when I'm enjoying the lush, you know, vegetation that Alaska has to offer, I realize that it comes at a price <laughs> of rain. And so I'm not, my bitterness wears off, I don't know about quickly, eventually. My bitterness wears off eventually because I know that there's a purpose to it. We also grew up with droughts and having to monitor our water usage, which we don't have to do up here. So I guess, I guess there's, uh, <laughs> there's positives and negatives. But the point is, God compares his word to that water the rain and the snow, they have a purpose. And that purpose is to make things grow or to bring life. And so he says, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And so the reason why preachers can have confidence, all they have to do is preach the word of God, is because the word of God carries with it a certain power just like the water and the rain and the snow, it has a power to bring life and vegetation and all the wildlife that that vegetation supports. Um, it's a powerful thing, water. So is the word of God. It will not go out without accomplishing the purpose that God has for it. Um, and so when you come to church or when you hear um, the word preached or when you're reading, the word of God is going out and it is having an effect on you. You cannot hear the word of God preached or be rained on or snowed on by the word of God, and not have it change you. It will change you. It will either produce life, as in this passage, 
or it will produce a hardness. So be careful. Be careful how you hear the word of God. Jesus actually talked about that with the parable of the sower and the seeds. Be careful how you hear the word of God. It will either soften your heart or it will harden your heart. But you cannot leave this room unchanged if the word of God is going out. <clears throat> and so um, I love this passage just explaining the, the power of the word of God, explaining why all we do is preach. Now, read Isaiah 55, the whole chapter sometime. It's a, it's a great, powerful, encouraging chapter on the power of God and the joy of the believer. Um, the next passage I want to look at is Ezekiel 37. Now, Ezekiel 37 is the passage where God um, takes Ezekiel and, and shows him a vision. And it's meant to encourage the people of Israel. Because Israel is in exile right now at this time. They're in Babylon. They've been carried away. They're, they're, they're destroyed. They feel um, rejected by God. It's through their own disobedience that God is punishing them. But they feel very barren and, and, and empty and, and wasted, wasting away. And so God gives Ezekiel this, this vision, this prophecy. And, and uh, I want to read through these ten verses with you. And I, I love this passage. I love the imagery here that, that Ezekiel uses. He says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones, and he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. So you've got to picture this. Think big valley. Think of maybe a war scene from a movie that you've seen or whatever, where there's just bones, just skeletons scattered all around, just pile, a big pile of skeletons in this huge valley. That's the, the vision. That's where God brings Ezekiel in the spirit. That's what Ezekiel sees. <clears throat> and then God says to Ezekiel, verse 3, And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? <laughs> and I answered, Oh, Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. If I can go back. Nope. Uh-oh. <laughs> That's okay. Listen carefully. Backwards means forwards on this remote. Um, let's try this one. Aha. Okay. Let me read verse 7 again. So I prophesied, oops, I skipped way ahead. Sorry about that. All right, pick up with me in verse 3. Let's start that section over. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And so, this is the confidence of a preacher, especially an evangelist who knows he's preaching to people who are dead spiritually, who are nothing but dry bones. Um, it's the power of the Word of God. God says to Ezekiel, in this valley of dry bones, preach to the bones. <laughs> Preach to the bones, preach to the dead, dry bones. Okay, I'm going to do what you say, God. So he preaches to the bones. <clears throat> and it goes on in verse 7. So I prophesied. 
He's just, he's just obeying God. That's what preachers just Just obey God. Just preach the word. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. So again, think of this image where all of a sudden, you know, the, the arm bones are connecting to the ribs and the leg bones are all forming and then they're coming together. And so these scattered bones are now becoming fully formed skeletons. And I looked and behold... There were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. So all of a sudden, these bones had formed into people, but they were still dead. And then God, or Ezekiel continues, then God, he said to me, <clears throat> he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath. Now, the breath in the, in the Hebrew, the same word for wind and breath. Um, and so he's saying, prophesy to the air, basically. <laughs> Preach to the air, Ezekiel. <laughs> okay, I mean, I'm going to obey. Um, verse 9 again. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, or the wind. Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. And again, what an image that, that uh, Ezekiel sets out for us, the power of the word of God. He, he commands the wind with the word of God. The wind comes in and gives life to these dead bodies. So I prophesied, verse 10, and as he, as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. And so this is the confidence of the preacher. In the context, this was the confidence of Israel that God's going to send his spirit and he's going to make us alive again. There's other passages in Ezekiel that talk about um, the heart of stone that God is going to transplant with the heart of flesh. It's through the preaching of the word of God that God does this. And so um, that's why we preach here. We know that sometimes you come in, maybe you feel like dry bones, but the word of God can, can awaken and, and make you alive spiritually. Now, Mark 7, um, we see Jesus. I love this passage, and there's, there's a truth in this passage that I never noticed before until I, I read it just recently in a book. Um, they brought to Jesus a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him, so, um, you know, to be healed. And so he does, and Jesus, you know, talks with the man. And, and then, later on in verse 34, he says, Looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephephah, that is, be opened. And his eyes were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Now, I never noticed this. Jesus spoke to a deaf man. Interesting. Now, who, who does that? <laughs> Jesus does because he wants to heal him. And it's the word of God, in this case, the healing word of Jesus himself, speaking to a deaf man and healing him. Now, you might say, you know, maybe the deaf man could read lips, or maybe Jesus used some sort of sign language. Maybe, but, but don't miss this point. I do think it's important that he spoke to a deaf man. And even if you think that it doesn't count, which I think it does, take Mark 5, where this is the story of Jairus' daughter, where um, Jairus, sent, he went up to Jesus to find Jesus so that he could bring Jesus down to heal his daughter. And so he goes to Jesus and says, will you come down and heal my daughter? Jesus says, yes. And on the way, some servants come up and say, don't bother Jesus anymore. Your daughter's dead. And so that's kind of the context. And Jesus keeps walking. He goes into the house. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. 
And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And again, the point of this is that Jesus has power to raise people from the dead. But don't miss the side point that Jesus spoke to a dead girl. That's, that's pretty powerful. And when preachers preach to unbelievers, they're speaking to spiritually dead people and saying, wake up, be alive, um, be raised from the dead. Now, as a believer, you know, we're not spiritually dead, but like I said, sometimes we feel like it. But it's through the word of God being preached that God gives us life and, and taps us into that life, into the spirit. Um, but, but I love this. I love little things like this in the Bible. That I, how, how many times have you read this and you just, you, you get the big picture, which is good. That's important. We need the big picture. But as you study the Bible more and more, you realize these other little parts that, like, whoa, I never saw that before. And that's, it's exciting all over again when you see that Jesus healed this person. Okay, yes, but look how he did it. He talked to a dead person. <laughs> Who does that? Well, Jesus does because he knows the power of his word. And, and you can do that too. If you're witnessing to unbelieving neighbors or friends or coworkers, um, you can speak the word of God into their lives. And that might be what God uses to wake them up. You don't need to worry about, well, you know, I'm not, I can't answer all their arguments. That's okay. Can you, can you read the word of God to them? Yeah. Do you know which verses to read? Maybe not. We can, you know, you can get help with that. There's, there's ways, you know, you can get counsel or you can read books about evangelism to find those verses. But it's the word of God spoken into a life that changes it. Think of, you know, conflicts you have in your own marriage or with friends or whatever it may be. What's going to change your heart? It's the word of God. When I, I think of, you know, sometimes when I'm, if I ever have a disagreement with my wife, not that we do, of course, right? Nobody <laughs> admits such things publicly. But let's just say, um, for the sake of argument, if I'm, if we're in a disagreement and I'm having a hardness of heart issue and I don't want to, you know, love her like Christ loved the church, that little phrase <laughs> tends to haunt the hard heart. Love her like Christ loved the church. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear that when they're angry or bitter or, or dealing with a hard heart. But it's that power of the word of God that gets in there. And over time, and sometimes immediately, sometimes, you know, over, over time, God gets, God gets a hold of his children through his spirit, and he changes their heart. It's an amazing thing. If you've experienced this, it's an amazing thing to be so angry at somebody. And then minutes later, fully in love. I mean, it's just an amazing thing that God does through his spirit in the lives of believers. Um, and so the word of God brings life. That's why we preach it. That's why we study it. That's why we have a bookstore with books full of expository reading. It's not preaching, but it's expository in nature where it's helping you understand the word of God. Um, another reason why we preach the word is that it sanctifies. Um, sanctify, it just means to make more holy, to be more like Christ to be to grow in your faith. So it's the word of God being preached to you that helps you grow. Or in conversation or in Bible studies or in, in books, it's the word that sanctifies you. That's why we preach. It's because the word of God is what changes your heart and continues to change your heart as you grow. Psalm 119 is a great place to illustrate this or to, to show this. It's 176 verses, and every one of those 176 verses, it mentions the word of God. It uses a synonym for the word of God. You know, God's law or precepts or rules or commands. Every single verse 
in Psalm 119 is about the Word of God. So I have three major points in my outline. There is a lot more things that the Word of God does than what I have time to talk about here. If you want to hear about some of those, read Psalm 119 sometime. It is a, it's just a rich um, song about the Word of God and the words of God. Um, but I'm just going to highlight four verses just to show how the Word of God sanctifies specifically. Um, verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. So the word of God helps us to keep a pure life. Verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's what we use as, as, our, as our weapon against sin. It's the storing up, the treasuring of God's word within us that keeps us from sin. Verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Again, we talked about hiking. Try hiking in the dark, pitch black sometime. Um, you won't get very far without tripping or stumbling or trying to catch your footing. But even if you have the smallest bit of light, it makes a world of difference. And that's what the Word of God is as we navigate this very dark um, culture and earth and, and life that we have to live here. The Word of God is that light to our path. In verse 130, the unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Again, that's why we preach it, because it sanctifies, it changes us. And Jesus is probably the best example of this. Um, he used the scripture in his fight against temptation. He was tempted in every way, just like we were. He was human. He had real hunger. And um, after fasting for 40 days, Satan comes to him and says, hey, turn these stones to bread. Now, Jesus could have done that. He turned water to wine. It's the same type of miracle. So there's nothing wrong intrinsically with turning stones to bread, but it wasn't the Father's timing. It wasn't the Father's will. And so Jesus said no to Satan. But he didn't just say, no, I have strong willpower. He said, it is written. That's the key to a sanctified life of fighting against sin. Follow Jesus' example. He quoted scripture in context. <laughs> he quoted scripture, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He didn't have to eat that bread or turn the stones to bread to live. He lived off of the word of God. Now, it's interesting, <laughs> Satan use scripture in the next round of temptations. Satan used scripture against Jesus. He's one of those topical preachers that takes a verse out of context and twists it to meet his own ends, which is actually true. He says, Satan said it is written, and then quotes the scripture and misuses it, trying to get Jesus to sin. And so Jesus responds again, it is written. And then the third time, it is written. Every time quoting from Deuteronomy um, in his fight against sin. And so when you find yourself caught up in a temptation Quote scripture like Jesus did, and, and, and don't just quote it, but apply it and live it and believe it, trust it and walk in that truth that the scripture provides. And John 17, this is, again, the last words of Jesus before his crucifixion. Um, this is actually in John 17, this is a prayer um, of Jesus. Um, it's called the High Priestly Prayer. It's, it's the last time that we know of that he prayed um, for his disciples specifically. I'm sure he was praying a lot all the way through. Um, his crucifixion experience, but it's the last um, lengthy prayer. I mean, even his words on the cross, some of those were prayers. Um, but uh, it's his last words before the night, of, the night before his crucifixion. So very heavy, very intense, deep, rich words. And in the middle of that, he's praying for his disciples, and he says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So Jesus' heart for his disciples was that God would continue to sanctify them, to continue to grow them, and he knew that it's the word of God that changes them. It's not the latest, you know, 
finding in, in psychology or it's not the latest, you know, self-help discovery. Um, you know, those things may or may not be helpful in their context, but it's the word of God that truly sanctifies, it truly changes your heart. It's the word of God. And that's why we preach the word of God. That's why we're so bound to the text. In Piper's words, we're tethered to reality or we're tethered to the text. And, and we make it our aim not to wander from the text. And you hear Pastor Jeff say, fly low to the text. That's what we're doing. We want to know what the Word of God says because that's what sanctifies us. Now, you can't have a sermon on the Word of God without Hebrews chapter 4. <clears throat> and so let me read this. Um, Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And so this verse talks about the penetrating depth of the word of God, how it can cut to your innermost being, the very division of your soul and spirit, whatever that means, it means that the word of God goes deep, deeper than anything. And so um, as you're studying the word of God, it pierces down to the depth of your heart. If your ears are open and if God is, is moving by his spirit, the word of God is what goes down deeper than anything. And again, in an um, evangelistic context, you have an ally in, that, in the unbeliever's heart called their conscience, and you know that God's word, you can speak right through their objections because the word of God pierces the deepest thoughts and intentions of their heart. You know them better than they do, and you can, with the word of God, if you're a skilled swordsman, you can, with the word of God, penetrate to the depths of their heart. Um, now, I had originally had this verse in another portion of my outline because, you know, like I said, you've got to have this verse in your outline somewhere if you're talking about the Bible. But I realized the context of this verse didn't fit where I had it. So I, I looked a little bit more at the context. And the context of Hebrews 4 is actually judgment. And uh, I, I had forgotten that, so I'm, I'm glad that I looked at it. And so I had to, in the, in the spirit of exp expositional <laughs> topical preaching. I had to add a point to my outline because I wanted to put this verse in there. Um, and the point was that the word of God judges and convicts. And that's a part that we don't often talk about. You know, we like to talk about it bringing life and causing growth, but it convicts and it judges and it condemns. Like, oh, you know, those are some of the heavier um, parts of the, of the Bible. But, uh, but it's there and it's true. And it's, it's something that we have to remember that the word of God is powerful and this context of cutting down to the depth of our being, it's actually in the context of the disobedience of Israel when they sin in the wilderness and God caused them to wander for 40 years. And so the word of God actually cuts in a convicting and judging way. Now, for a believer, that is a good thing, even though it hurts to be cut deeply when we, are so, um, when we hold on so tightly to our sinfulness. Um, sometimes God has to cut pretty deeply. Well, usually God has to cut pretty deeply. Um, often we don't feel it, though. Um, and so, um, in context, this verse is about judgment. It's still a powerful verse. It still talks about the power of the Word of God, but its context is one of judgment. And 
an illustration of this comes from Acts chapter 2, where um, after Pentecost, a crowd gathers, and, and Peter starts preaching to the crowd. And he exposits a passage from Joel, and he exposits a passage from Psalms. And he's teaching the people. He's doing an expository preaching thing, and he preaches to the people, explaining who Jesus was, what they did to him, um, and what this display of the Spirit was. And he, he speaks to the people, and uh, this is how he ends. He says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, this is Pentecost. This is 50 days after Jesus was crucified and rose again. And these are the very people, probably most of them, if not all of them, the very people who were, who were shouting out, crucify him, crucify him. Peter says, you crucified the Messiah. What were you thinking? Look, it says in Joel, and he exposes Joel. And it says in the Psalms, and he exposes Psalms. And you crucified our Messiah. And so in response to preaching of the word of God, and explaining and shedding light on their actions and comparing their experience to the word of God, they, it says, were, when they heard this, it says, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? That's the response that the preaching of the word should elicit. That's what the response should be. When you hear the word of God preached, you should say, what, what should I do? What should be my response to this? And Peter goes on to tell them, you know, you need to repent. You need to be baptized. You need to believe in this Jesus whom you crucified. And they did. And 3,000 people were added to the church that day because of the preaching of God's word. Because of the cutting, judging, convicting, slicing aspect of the power of the word of God, 3,000 people were, were brought to life and became a fellowshipping part of the community of God. And I was thinking, what would it be like, I mean, to be one of the people who was shouting out, crucify him, crucify him, and then 50 days later realizing, whoa, what did we just do? But yet still being included into the fellowship of believers. That's just an amazing testimony of the grace of God, the power of the blood of Jesus and what it accomplished, that we can have unity where you have Peter in the group who denied Jesus, um, you have the other 10 who ran away, um, you got John who stuck by Jesus most of the time, but in this mixed group of people, some were faithful to Jesus, some abandoned, some denied, some cried out crucify, you can have fellowship together because of what Jesus did. That's an amazing testimony of, of one of the effects of the gospel is the unity that can come from all sorts of backgrounds. So whatever your background, it doesn't matter. If you embrace and accept and re repent under the teaching of the word of God, we can all be one in Christ. And that's an amazing an amazing um, display of the power of the gospel. Now, I have one illustration from Charles Spurgeon. You may know um, who Spurgeon is. He's a great um, preacher um, in the 1800s. And uh, I want to I tell you a little bit about his uh, conversion story, just to illustrate the power of the word of God. He grew up um, surrounded by truth. His father was a preacher. His grandfather was a preacher. And he actually, when he would go to his grandfather's house, he would actually sneak away and go into his grandfather's library and read Puritans. <laughs> that was his, his hobby. He loved it. He just devoured their, their reading, their teaching, and, and what they had written. And so, you know, he's a kid doing this, going to his grandpa, grandparents' house. And that's an amazing um, testimony of God preparing Spurgeon. As an unbeliever, he was so enthralled with the, the teaching of the Puritans and the depth of truth they were 
um, writing about. And so, um, but he wasn't, he wasn't converted um, until he was 15 years old. And one Sunday morning, um, there was a snowstorm, and his father's church was about nine miles away. And his father said, you know, Charles, um, go to church closer to home today because the snowstorm is pretty bad. So Spurgeon said, okay. On his way to that other church, the snowstorm was so bad that he said he felt compelled to go into this little church that was, that was right there because it was just, um, the snowstorm was just, you know, even worse than what he thought. And so he walked into this um, primitive Methodist church, that was the denomination, and there were 12 people in the congregation. You know, probably due to the snowstorm, a lot of people stayed home. There were 12 people in the congregation, but he didn't care. He, he knew through his reading and through his experience uh, in being in godly surroundings, he knew about God. He knew God was holy. He knew he was not. And so spiritually, he was aware that there was uh, a problem in his soul. Um, and so as he was walking by this church, he's like, I don't care. I'm just going to go there. If they preach the gospel there and I can be saved, that's great. And so um, he went in there, and he sat, and the, the lead pastor actually wasn't there. He was snowed in. So there was a circuit preacher who was there um, in the church that day, so he got up to preach. Um, Spurgeon didn't think too highly of him. He thought he was maybe a shoemaker or a tailor. Um, he didn't you know, think he was much of a preacher. But uh, the guy got up and preached from... Isaiah 45:22, which says, Look to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. And I want to read you just a little bit of what uh, this circuit preacher, who <laughs> Spurgeon didn't respect much, um, just a little bit about what he said as he was expositing the word of God. He said this, My dear friends, this is a very simple text indeed. It says, Look. Now, look and don't take a deal of pain. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger it's just, look. Well, a man needn't go to college to learn to look. You may be the biggest fool, and yet you can look. A man needn't be worth a thousand a year to be able to look. Anyone can look. Even a child can look. But then the text says, look unto me. Many of you are looking to yourselves. But it's no use looking there. You'll never find any comfort in yourselves. Some look to God the Father. No, look to him by and by. Jesus Christ says, look unto me. Some of you say, we must wait for the Spirit's working. You have no business with that just now. Look to Christ. The text says, look unto me. So after about 10 minutes of, of going on about this particular passage, Spurgeon <laughs> felt the preacher had nothing left to say. But the preacher, now keep in mind, there's 12 people in this room. The preacher singles out and points to Spurgeon <laughs> sitting under the gallery. And he points to him. And he says, young man, you look very miserable. <laughs> How do you feel? Whoa. Um, he says, young man, you look very miserable. And Spurgeon says, you know, looking back on this event, he says it, it was as if the preacher could just look right into his heart because in spiritual matters, Spurgeon did feel miserable. And so this preacher is just looking at him and says, young man, you look very miserable. And he goes on to say, and you always will be miserable, miserable in life and miserable in death if you don't obey my text. But if you obey my text, this moment you will be saved. Then, lifting up his hands, he shouted, Young man, look to Jesus Christ. Look, look, look. You have nothing to do but look and live. And Spurgeon says, as soon as he uttered these words, he at once saw the way of salvation. His eyes were opened, and, and he saw Jesus at that moment. 
And he says, Spurgeon says this, When I heard that word, look, what a charming word it seemed to me. Oh, I looked until I could almost have looked my eyes away. There and then the cloud was gone. The darkness had rolled away. In that moment I saw the sun. And I could have risen that instant and sung with the most enthusiastic of them of the precious blood of Christ and the simple faith which looks alone to him. And so, the testimony of Spurgeon illustrates the power of the word of God. This, this, I, this circuit preacher preached on one word, look. And that one word, given the condition of Spurgeon's heart, that one word is what Spurgeon needed to hear at that moment to change his heart and to change, I mean, the history of the world. I mean, Spurgeon, if, if, uh, he's, he's quite the, uh, I mean, God used him very, very mightily in England and still today. I mean, his sermons are available online. Very powerful um, instrument in the hand of God. And so Spurgeon um, illustrates the point of the power of the word of God in his conversion. And I, I close with some thoughts about, okay, well, now what? <laughs> you know, most, most of you aren't going to get up in a pulpit and, and preach to a crowd, and that's, that's fine. So, you know, so how do you apply this to your life? If you're not going to be a preacher, if you're not going to be um, somebody who, who exposes the scripture, so you think, um, I never thought I would, but. Anyways, um, so now what? Well, listen. <laughs> listen to sermons. Um, this message was really about the authority of the Word of God and the power of the Word of God. If that's the case, listen to sermons. When you come on Sundays, listen carefully. When you're not here on Sunday mornings or, you know, through the week, the internet is full of excellent sermons. If you need help finding one, you know, come and talk to, to one of us or, or a pastor or, or people who know about the online sermons. There's just all sorts of them. You can listen to them in your car. Listen to the Word of God being preached, and you will be applying um, this morning's message. Read good books. We've got a book, um, a book store, and I'm going to promo this month's book of the month. J.I. Packer's Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. This book is power-packed, talking about evangelism and our human responsibility in evangelism and the Bible's teaching on the sovereignty of God. And he does such a great job. I mean, it's such a short book for how much it accomplishes in, in, in expositing the truth of human responsibility and the sovereignty of God. And he doesn't um, disparage one for the sake of the other or, the, or vice versa. He teaches, he exposes the word of God and lets the word of God speak to these issues. And it's an amazing book. I highly recommend it um, on probably the deepest topic you will experience if you're, if you're studying the Bible, human responsibility, God's sovereignty, um, one of them, if not the top three. Um, excellent book. Buy it, read it, put into practice this love for the, the preaching or expositing of God's word, whether verbally or in print. Another application of this passage. Take heed. Be careful how you hear. Like I said, you cannot leave this room unaffected. If you sat here and didn't hear a word I said, you can't leave here unaffected. Your heart will either be hardened or softened, but it will not be changed. The word of God will not go out unless it accomplishes what God has for it to accomplish. And so be careful how you hear it. Be careful the condition of your heart, the soil, right? The parable of Jesus with the soils, four different types of soil. Only one of them was a good soil where the word of God was planted and, and, and grew and produced fruit of varying degrees. So be careful how you hear. Um, and, and even an application of that is to pray for the preacher and the listeners, yourself included. Pray for the preacher to preach the word of God. You know, it would be great if every one of us would pray every, every day or every week for Pastor Jeff as he's expositing the scripture. Pray for people listening that God would open their ears 
um, and encourage the preaching of God's word and other listeners to hear the word of God. You know, it's in the culture that people are telling us, don't preach the word of God, it's offensive. So how important it is for you, the church, to tell the preachers, hey, keep preaching the word of God. We want to hear the word of God. That's a tremendous encouragement. And I appreciate those of you who have done that for me, and I encourage that um, for Jeff as well. And encourage people. Sometimes it's hard to listen to an expository sermon. They're long, and there's a lot of information, and attention spans being what they are these days. Encourage each other. You know, talk about the sermon, and, and, and try to encourage each other to do what it takes to um, benefit as much as you can from these messages. Um, another thing that you could do is preach the word. Now, again, you may not preach in a pulpit, but you can speak the word to your neighbors, to your coworkers, to your friends, your family, your children, your parents. Share the word. Speak the word. Love the word, which is the next one. Um, <clears throat> the word of God has power. The word of God is where we find God's revelation of himself to us. So as we study the word, let's find God there, and that should help us love God's word more and more. And the, the final application that I want to make is that it helps us enjoy worship and communion more. We're going to be taking communion here in a few minutes. Um, but, uh, and this is how I said also that uh, last week's message really does go with this one. How can we worship a transcendent God if we don't know that he's a transcendent God, if we don't know his nature, if we don't know his faithfulness, if we don't know the reliability of his words, how can we worship him deeply? And a lot of times, um, I've led many students on mission trips to Guatemala. We, I used to do a Bible study um, at my house. We, we usually you know, do a devotion time by singing a lot. You know, students love to sing and, and to worship God. And then we stop singing usually and go into a time of the word. And it's so often people say, let's just keep singing. And I understand the spirit behind that. You know, we love to worship God, and that's a great thing. But, uh, you know, I say that's, you know, we don't have time for that right now. We'll have time for that more in heaven. We can do that as much as we want. But right now, we need to study the Word of God. And here's the point. The more you study the Word of God, the more you will have to worship God about, <laughs> and the deeper your worship will be. And so it's not as though we're stopping worshiping, and now we're going to go study. It's we're stopping singing and we're going to go inform our worship by studying the Word of God more so that when we sing next time, our hearts will be more full of who God is and the knowledge of God, and it'll just come out in joy as we worship. And so worship and study are not two different things. They're, they're, they go hand in hand. Um, and as we go to um, the communion table, if you understand the Word of God and what it has to say about the body and blood of Christ— and this, this symbolic memorial that we participate in together, if you understood what that means, you will have a sweeter time of fellowship and communion as we do this. And so expositing the word of God has many effects, many applications, um, and, and I do hope that, that as you think and meditate on the word of God that you would come to embrace, yes, expository preaching, if you haven't already, I mean, you're here, so there's, that's a good sign, but that you would embrace this expository preaching, and even though it's hard sometimes, that you would see the benefit and grow by um, the preaching of the word. So let me pray as the men come forward um, for communion. Um, dear Father, I, I do thank you for your word spoken to us. Um, I thank you for um, expositors like Pastor Jeff, who faithfully preached through texts of scripture. Um, I thank you for this exposition that we were able to just spend some time talking about 
preaching and why it's so important and just the power of the Word of God. And I pray that each one of us would be changed, that we would love the Word of God more and that we would be more bold to speak the Word of God to others and that we would ultimately find our greatest joy in you in the words that you have given to us. And I pray now as we go to the communion time that you would um, draw near to us, that we would draw near to you in confession, repentance, and unity, and fellowship. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians uh, before they pass out the um, bread. Uh, in, in Paul's instruction to the church in Corinth, um, he writes to them, um, they were having troubles um, with unity and such, so he writes to them, 1 Corinthians 11, but in the following instructions I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. And so he's, he's actually saying, you guys, you know, there's divisions among you. You really need to work on this. This is not acceptable. I talked about unity, the unity of the body already in the message. Paul is going back to that same topic. Um, he, he goes on to say, Whoever therefore eats of the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So I'll just encourage you, go ahead and please pass out the bread. As they're passing out the bread, you would examine yourself and just take to heart Paul's words to the Corinthians. And, and if there's um, sin in your life that, that you need to confess, that you would confess that. Um, if there's people you need to talk to, that you would confess with God um, your disunity. And uh, I'll just let you meditate on examining yourselves.